You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm Eleanor Rust, Marketing Director at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music innovation and music technology. If you're a regular listener, you've been hearing a lot about the fourth annual Music Tectonics Conference we held in October. We had such a great time putting together a lineup of music innovators from all over the industry. We just have to share some highlights with you. Today I'm bringing you into a presentation by Tatiana Sirisano of Media Research. It's just one of the ways she contributed to the conference. She was, she was really an MVP. You'll hear a thorough but succinct overview of music tech startup trends that Tatiana gave at UMG's Music Tech Training Camp. This was a special startup-focused segment of the conference organized with UMG's Digital Innovation Group. Shout out to Christina Pimentel, Bill Gannion, and all their team at Universal Music Group's Santa Monica offices for welcoming several dozen music tectonics attendees and just holding a really stellar event there. Since space was limited, we couldn't have every badge holder there, so we're making Tatiana's talk from that event available to listen. And now, here's Tatiana. Hi everyone, I'm Tatiana Sirisano. Um, I'm a music industry analyst and consultant at Media Research. Um, if you're not familiar with us, we're an entertainment industry um, research firm and consultancy firm. We cover all aspects of the entertainment industry, but I obviously am from the music team. Um, and if you're with us this morning, I see some familiar faces in here from the keynote. Good to see you again. But for everyone else, um, nice to meet you. And I'm here to talk about um, startup trends that, that we're seeing. And I thought that this could very easily get unwieldy, <laughs> and I have 20 minutes, um, so I figured it would be more useful rather than standing up here and somewhat arbitrarily sharing you know, the, the trends that I'm seeing, to talk about what are the trends that uh, we at Media, based on the surveys that we put out and the conversations that we're having, what new needs we're seeing um, in the music landscape from creators and from labels, and then talk about some of the um, emerging trends that we're seeing from startups that are actually serving those needs. So just a disclaimer, this is not an exhaustive list of you know, every trend that we're seeing in the startup space, but hopefully this gives you sort of a database perspective. Um, thanks. So to kick things off, um, I wanted to first just talk about some of the general inhibitors and drivers that we're seeing. So to start with the, the bad news, I guess, um, attention competition. So as we talked about this morning, if you were there, um, music is no longer just competing with other music. It's competing with basically everything else in entertainment from you know games to films and, and all other things. And on top of artists having more competition, you know, you, you as startups and just creator tools companies and, and services companies, you're competing for artist attention in, in an increasingly fragmented and oversaturated space. So everything is more competitive than it kind of ever has been. Um, we're seeing a rise in artificial intelligence tools for music making, which we'll talk about more in a minute. Um, but of course, that also will compete against some other creator tools uh, companies in the space. Um, of course, there's, again, burnout is a huge issue for artists. Um, and trying to just navigate uh, how to be an artist today uh, can be really difficult and drives many people to unfortunately give up. Um, and then, of course, we're seeing recessionary inflationary pressures, where on top of um, artists worrying about you know, people not paying a music subscription, they also may not have the money to subscribe to you know, whatever they usually use to, to make music. So those are kind of the, the inhibitors. But in terms of the drivers, we're seeing um, improvements in, in all the different ways that artists can make money. 
you know, it used to be that maybe as an artist you are you're sort of subsidizing your music career by working as a waiter or something like that, whereas now you can sell beats online, you can teach, you can sell your skills. Um, there's all these different ways to make money that don't necessarily have to mean not making music. Um, we're seeing something we're going to talk about a lot is the growth of lean through, which basically means um, people not just listening to music, but wanting to actively participate in it and, you know, not just have this one-way consumption of a song, but maybe remix it or make a TikTok video with it and all these things. Um, and then we have the growing role of software and sounds in music creation. So like samples marketplaces, you know, samples used to be, uh, sounds and samples used to be a bigger part of just, you know, electronic music making, but now it's sort of having a bigger role in all sorts of music making. So we're going to talk a bit more about that as well. And then the rise of emerging markets. So this is a lot of information and I won't go through all of it, but um, just to give you an idea of how we're sizing uh, the creator services space, um, all these different all these different parts to it. Um, this refers to the artist spend in 2021 on these different services. So just to kind of quickly give you an idea of each of them, starting with learning. So this is um, online services only. Um, and that jumped 68% between 2020 and 2021, in part because the pandemic led so many more people to start learning how to make music. Uh, collaboration is also a big part, um, where the majority of that revenue is coming from skill sharing platforms, which we'll talk about uh, more in a, in a minute. Um, we have production, which is the second largest category here behind distribution. Um, sounds, as I talked about, are becoming a bigger part of workflows. Uh, funding is a smaller category here because most artists are sort of self-funding with all these other sources of revenue that, that I, I just mentioned, uh, but still, you know, a, a disruptive force. Um, commerce becoming important as artists realize that they need their own destinations to connect with fans and sell things rather than just, you know, going through these other platforms that uh, take a cut or they don't necessarily own their fans there. Distribution, obviously the biggest part, um, but a trend we're seeing there is that now that you know everyone kind of has access to distribution, these companies are needing to expand their services and sort of go beyond being the basic plumbing. They need to sort of offer more. Um, and then finally, marketing um, and commercial. Commercial meaning these, these services that help sort of manage finances, uh, rights management, uh, things like that. So I divided this into three Three categories. So first, let's talk about the trends we're seeing in music creation. So this is one of my favorite slides that we've done this year. Um, I think it's so interesting how, when you look at this, basically you can think of this as you know the total addressable market for music creator tools and, and services, um, and you can think of it kind of like a funnel. So you start with playing or, or planning to learn to play an instrument, then you go on to produce or record music, then you start to share it, and then finally you're self-releasing. Um, onto streaming. So the thing that's so interesting about this though is that if you look at this number at the bottom, six million, so that's sort of like what we think of as the traditional music industry. Those are the artists that are, um, sorry if you can't see this, um, <laughs> those are the artists that are, you know, getting all the way down the funnel and then they're, they're mixing and mastering and finishing their music and they're distributing it onto Spotify and all the other DSPs. That base grew 12% um, between 2020 and 2021. But if you look at this percentage that just upload or release their music online and don't necessarily release it onto the traditional DSPs, so maybe they're posting it on YouTube, they're 
putting an unfinished song clip on TikTok and seeing how people react. That base grew uh, twice as fast. Um, and we kind of see that as one of the first real indications, like data-based indications, that a new generation of creators no longer necessarily sees this traditional funnel as their natural path. Um, and also that the process of creating music is almost becoming a product in itself, where you see more and more artists sharing their process online, soliciting feedback from people, um, going into these skills marketplaces that we're going to talk about and collaborating with others. Um, so this, I think, is just really fascinating stuff. Um, so we'll talk in this format about a couple different trends. So all-in-one platforms is something that we're seeing. Um, if you were with us this morning, I talked about how I feel like I hear the word ecosystem constantly now, and that it feels like the next music industry buzzword. Um, and we are seeing, uh, thanks to, in part, this new generation of creators that kind of expects to be able to do everything in one place and go from zero to 100 really quickly, but knowing that also the creation tool space is really crowded and really fragmented, we're seeing more and more platforms that provide sort of a one-stop shop. Um, and that has everything from creating music, collaborating with others, mastering it, finding people to collaborate with, um, and distributing it, often plus marketing tools and all these other, all, all these other things that artists might need. Um, so here's some examples of that. And again, not exhaustive, just a couple of examples to kind of uh, you know, point to what, what, we, what we're seeing. Um, next, we have marketplaces and collaboration. So as more and more artists are realizing that they're never going to reach the scale needed to actually um, earn sustainable income from streaming, we're seeing them look for these other sources of income that still include making music or, or doing something musical. Um, so like I said, selling beats online, um, selling their skills on, on these skills marketplaces, um, things like that. So we're seeing uh, a rise in these sorts of sorts of marketplaces that are not only facilitating the collaboration, uh, but just creating new spaces for creators to earn revenue that aren't necessarily coming from the music itself, but from their skills. Um, and then finally, AI assistance. So I feel like we've seen a lot of um, AI being used as part of the sort of aiding in the creation process. So not just, um, we know there's, there's a lot of AI that also generates music, but I think something that I've noticed more often that's really interesting is um, AI as a tool for just helping with inspiration or with the creative process. So you have something like Koso, which is a Splice product. Um, got some Splice people here, cool. Um, where, you know, it's suggesting using AI, hey, this, this beat, uh, this, uh, this drum might sound good with what you're making, so why don't you try it? And then things like that, that can sort of serve as the inspiration for a track. Um, and then Audio Shake, uh, the winner of today of the Tectonics competition, um, shout out Jessica, um, that is using AI to um, split stems. Um, so these are all different ways that we're seeing AI be used, not just to generate new songs, but actually just kind of aid in the creation. Um, all right, so career management is another huge part because artists these days are small businesses and they have so many different revenue streams to keep track of. Uh, they, they, they are doing way more than they really have time for, so this is, this is another big category. Um, so as I was talking about, we're seeing creators diversify their sources of revenue. 
um, relying less on streaming and, and more in this diverse mix of income sources that we see actually have similar importance when we look at, um, we survey creators on, you know, how much income do you make per year on, on these various things. And that's translating to a couple of trends in the startup space as well. So one is automated assets. So another thing that I talked about this morning was how um, the fragmentation of consumption is making it harder and harder to have anything be mainstream or, or to even break through the noise for most artists. There's so much music out there. Um, people are getting it from so many different sources. Algorithms are pushing them further into niches. It's just really hard to break through. And it's also hard to sustain fandom. I think that's actually an even bigger problem than breaking through the noise today because you can have a viral hit uh, but how do you actually keep people engaged? So marketing is, is really important for especially independent artists, but it's time consuming and it laborious. Uh, so we're seeing some platforms come up that sort of help with autom automating parts of the marketing process. Um, like this, this company, OneSheet, sort of builds itself as the Canva for music um, and blasting updates to fans. Um, and fandom is another part of this that um, I'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. Um, and then fintech. So again, artists these days have way more sources of revenue to juggle. Um, and they, they often need tools, uh, not just artists, but also a lot of independent labels um, to track and understand where their revenue is flowing, um, understand their contracts, split sheets, things like that. So we're seeing lots of different types of companies. All of these do something slightly different um, with streamlining all of those processes. Um, and then finally, we'll talk a little bit about uh, fandom. So, um, so in the you know kind of classic definitions of uh, entertainment behaviors, we think about lean back and lean in, right? Where lean back is sort of passively consuming content that's chosen for you, um, and lean in is more you know actively choosing. I want to listen to this, but we have identified this new type, um, which we're calling lean through, um, which is where you're not only you're not only listening to a song, but you're actively adding something on top of it or making it your own or kind of doing something further even beyond that. So recreations sort of fit into this category and that can be anything from, you know, remixing a song to creating, you know, a, a duet on TikTok to it. Um, we see lots more of, of especially with Gen Z, um, all of these numbers on the lean through side are even higher. And when you look at this, you know, 5%, 9%, that doesn't sound like a lot. But when we look at this again with Gen Z, we see even higher percentages. And also, I would argue, these things didn't even exist, you know, a few years ago. And the fact that we're even seeing 5% of the population do them now, I think, is an indication um, that this is an entirely new category. So a couple of trends here. Um, first one, artist-fan collaboration. So, Actually, I had a panel about this the other day um, where we're seeing at the same time as consumers are looking for more ways to you know, actively engage with the music that they're fans of, artists also increasingly need to engage their super fans because the scale model doesn't work for most artists, um, which is one of the reasons I think so many people are so gung-ho about this creator economy idea and the thousand true fans. Um, so what this leads to is if you have consumers seeking those types of experiences and artists also wanting to, to offer them um, and technology for creating music and collaborating is becoming more sophisticated, we're seeing all these new tools um, for artist fan collaboration. So that can be everything from um, a DAO or a decentralized autonomous organization where 
people who are part of this um, token-gated community get to vote on decisions that the artist makes. Um, we also have Softside and Fave both engage in um, fan-made merchandise where fans can actually you know, sell their own creations and artists can take a cut. All these sorts of things um, that are really disrupting everything we thought about music creation and ownership. And then I think this might be my last slide on consumer creator tools. So this is really interesting. So of course, people have always made music as a hobby and not necessarily because they're trying to you know, become a famous artist. But we're also seeing sort of a new segment come out of that that's not just people who are hobbyists, but people who are just casual consumers who are kind of able to, wanting to be able to create uh, music the way that they use Instagram to create professional quality photos and TikTok to create professional quality videos. And we kind of think music will be the next. So obviously it's a lot, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And you know, we're not at a place where making music is as simple as taking a photo and putting a filter on it and posting it on Instagram. But we do think that um, we're, we're getting there and that we're already seeing lots of startups in this space that are, that are kind of doing that. So I think even COSO, which I already talked about, is sort of an example of that because even though you know, people who are more serious music makers can, and can use it and are using it, it's also a tool that seems to me uh, like something a casual consumer could pick up and sort of play around with. Um, and then one of my favorite examples of this um, is the Artifon Orbicam. So Artifon was here at Tectonics, probably you guys saw their, their table the other day, um, but they had this app where it sort of was a, a social app with a TikTok interface, but on top of it uh, is sort of a, a, a version of the, of the Artifon musical instrument where you can tap these, these parts of the wheel and create a song to put on top of your TikTok. So I think that that will be kind of added on top as, as a new layer on top of um, these apps that let us take photos and videos. Um, that might, oh, there's one more. Okay, so the last one is microsync. So as we have more and more people creating content online, um, the people that are doing that and wanting to monetize it, they can't use the same licensing deals that you know TikTok has with labels and publishers. They have to get their own if they want to use music in their monetized videos, right? But the traditional sync licensing industry, it just doesn't serve them. It's time consuming, it's based on connections, it's really expensive. Uh, it's really hard if you're just trying to, you know, license this one video for your, or this one song for your TikTok video as a creator. You're not going to get, you know, Universal Music Group's attention and, and, and that sort of thing. So we're seeing this rise of platforms that are trying to facilitate those connections at scale. Because even though that one creator that wants to license this commercial song, you know, it maybe isn't going to make a difference if they tried to reach out to the label individually. You have hundreds and thousands of creators now that want to use commercial music in their videos and in their content. So we're seeing companies like Licked um, and Fresh Sound um, provide access for creators to either cheap but also high quality production music um, or to actually commercial music in a way that just has never been possible before. Um, and we kind of termed that micro sync. Um, so I think that's the end. Oh my god, I made it. I've been talking so fast. Um, <laughs> so I, I hope this was um, helpful in the way that you're thinking about, you know, the, your startups or if you're an investor, what you're, what you're looking for. Um, and if you'd like to talk more about this, 
I love to see everyone taking a photo of this slide. Um, please feel free to reach out. Um, and thank you so much for, for being here. Does anybody have any questions for Tatiana? Very expensive. You know, do you need free advice here? I hope I didn't miss this in, in the, the very fast and very comprehensive presentation. It was excellent. Thank you. Um, I'm Holly with Amped Up, and I was wondering what trends you're seeing in the live music space as we look at participation, defining culture. Um, what, what kind of research or findings or trends are you seeing in live music? That's a really good question. Um, hmm. I feel like there's a lot of directions that I could take that. I mean, <laughs> I think we're seeing uh, lots of ways to sort of uh, show I was there that don't necessarily include buying a t-shirt. Like I know there's a lot of, um, you know, AI for being able to go to the concert and you, you hold up your phone and you see a different, uh, like Snapchat does this, where you, you actually see something else when you hold up your phone. Um, and you can post that on Snapchat and it's like, I was here, or even, you know, tickets that are NFTs to display. Um, so I think in terms of fan participation, we're seeing more of that sort of uh, proof of, of, of being there um, as sort of like a bragging rights. Um, but I think we've, we've also done a lot of, a lot of uh, work looking at live streaming and how, especially now, as like so many smaller acts are really struggling to make ends meet on the road, and we have this new generation that kind of sees uh, the virtual space as their sort of natural space. Um, I think we're seeing uh, live streaming becoming this sort of alternative to the touring circuit, and there's so many ways that you can engage with fans there, whether it's you know a chat or people paying to influence what the screen looks like or see their name pop up and things like that. So. Uh, I don't know, I think there's a mix of stuff happening in the physical live space and in the um, virtual space, but we're actually about to start um, work on a big report on the live industry, um, so I'll make a mental note of that to, to, to do more work on because I will say live is the, probably the single sector that we don't have as much um, research on right now as we do everything else. The man, Dimitri. Uh, I, that was amazing. Thank you. I know it was a whirlwind. I love having media at Tectonics because you are talking about this convergence of two different definitions of music tech. It's it's the tech of the music industry and it's the tech of making music, which is a convergence that we try to include at Tectonics, but inspired by media, Mark and you and, and the crew there. Um, I'm curious, what do you guys see as the impact of that slide you had where you said there's this normal process for creation and distribution that is sort of getting leapfrogged. What's going to happen over time if we continue to see the fan as creator or the, the pre-hobbyist that's making music? How's that going to, how do we, how do you guys think it's going to impact the traditional record industry? How will labels adapt? Will they adapt? Uh, will this be a parallel universe with the record industry? I'm just curious, any thoughts you have on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, oh God, there's so much. Like, I think that it, it challenges, when we, when we talked about this yesterday, we talked about how this also challenges our ideas of ownership. And, you know, if you're collaborating with, all, with your fans on a song, you know, do they deserve ownership rights to that um, and things like that? But I think it is, at, at the heart of it, it's a way to engage fans, which is something that we need to do more than ever now that, it's such a fragmented and such a competitive space. Um, and I think 
what is more of an expression of fandom than wanting to actually like collaborate with an artist and actually like give them your input or, or feel like you're being seen. Um, so I think that it will be a big part of the, the fandom building and marketing approach. Um, and I, I guess that's how I see it mostly impacting record labels. But I mean, from the perspective of how it, it, the slide that you were talking about where it's no longer so focused on, you know, releasing a finished song. Um, the, the process is becoming a product in itself um, where, you know, so many artists are just having more fun releasing unfinished songs on TikTok or wherever it is and, you know, playing around with that as a product and then using that information to say, okay, I want to put my money behind this song rather than this one because now I've actually had the input from my fans to know that this, my spend makes more sense here. So there's also ways that maybe it'll make the, the process a little bit um, more efficient or, or help artists guide their decisions and in what, what things they want to spend the most time and energy on. Um, but I don't know, it's such, a, it's such a big question. I think that there's, there's so much that it'll change. <laughs> yeah. We got chance. One more question. And you're the last one, make it good. Alright, uh, I had this question actually earlier at the other talk, so uh, you briefly touched on Kevin Kelly's theory, Thousand Fans, right, yeah. Thousand True Fans, and I've heard many artists talk about like, I only need a thousand fans who's going to spend a hundred bucks on me every year, I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty hard, uh, do you have any insights on, first of all, whether it's, you know, can you validate that, as in like, is it, as an indie artist, are you able to even reach that, you know, first of all? And then is it the trend going up or down that, like, people spend more on one single artist, as from one fan to one artist? That's a good question. I mean, I don't think that I can definitively answer that. Like, we don't have, we don't have data on that specifically, but I think that uh, as people spread their listening, we do have data showing that people are spreading their listening across a wider range of artists. And I think that does make it difficult to, you know, get rally a thousand true fans that are going to spend money on just you. Um, so I think it is becoming a lot more competitive. But even so, you know, if you're in this really hyper fragmented competitive place um, where few artists can actually um, have scale to, to benefit from, you know, streaming economics and things like that, I think your only course of action is kind of to try and start with the super fans and start with. Uh, building this community of people that love your music and are willing to spend money on just you. So it's sort of going from a top-down approach to a bottom-up one. And I think that a lot of artists are finding that that's more achievable than the alternative. But that doesn't mean it's without challenges, as I think you're pointing to. So, yeah. So it's not it's not as easy as, you know, some people might be trying to make it sound. I mean, 100 bucks a year. Who spends 100 bucks a year? I don't ever right. spend on any, well, any artist. The, the one, I guess the one data point I can share on that is um, we look at, we divide music fans into four categories depending on how much time they spend on music and how much money they spend. Um, and the music aficionados who spend the most time and money uh, comprise 12% of all consumers in the nine countries we survey. Um, and they tend to spend six times more than the average person. So it's sort of that uh, inverse proportions thing where even though they're, they're a smaller number of people, they're disproportionately spending, so those people exist. But I also think, I mean, this is going off on a tangent that we don't have time for, but I think that um, we we can't just expect, you know, 
fans to be spending hundreds of dollars on, on the artists per year. I think there need to be more affordable ways for fans to engage as well. Um, so that's that's a whole other topic though, but yeah. It sounds like you're, if you got a good question, I'll let you do it. <laughs> this could be really quick or long, depending, I guess, on how you want to answer. But it seems to me that even with all of this collaborative technology and these new advancements and changes in the way people are engaging with artists, it seems like there's still a disparity just as much, if not more, than there was 30 years ago between the top fraction of a percent of artists, the Beyonce's, Taylor Swift's, taking home so much more money than ever before with everything from endorsements aside from the main revenue streams and people who aren't at that level who are literally at the bottom which is the vast majority of artists mm -hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts on that do you think it just hasn't caught up yet and then coming years we're about to see that change where things are going to get I mean they're never going to be you know it's always going to be that structure to a certain point but do you yeah. see a certain leveling up in, in the future do you think that this won't the new technology won't necessarily change the way the system is, it'll just be done differently. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I hear you. Um, I think one of the topics that, I mean, we study fragmentation so much and we are seeing that uh, with every year, the superstars have diminished impact in terms of dominating streams. So obviously there are still superstars, they still exist, but their, their impact overall is diminishing a bit. Um, the long tail is probably struggling more than ever. And the mid tail is where we see, of, of emerging artists is where we see the most growth. So I do think we are actually seeing some leveling out there. But you know, of course it's not like everything is, everything is magically equal now. Um, but yeah, I think that one of the, like the fragmentation thing, it, it makes a lot of parts of being an artist harder. But I think the positive thing is that it is, uh, you know, increasing the streams for mid-tier artists and, you know, we're sort of entering this time where superstars are still there, but they sort of tend to exist alongside smaller sort of cult stars for niches, um, and I think that's a positive thing. So, yeah, I, I, I think it is somewhat starting to level out slightly, but, you know, of course, there's, there is still, as long as streaming economics are in place, that's kind of, it's a scale game, and we are going to see the, the superstars take home the most. Okay, great questions. Great questions. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye! You're listening to Music Tectonics.